Good morning, family. Let's stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we find ourselves a grateful people today, grateful to be called by your name, grateful to be rescued, grateful to be surrounded. But Father, as we stand before you right now, there are some of us that are hungry today. Not that we haven't had breakfast or a meal, but we're hungry for you. In fact, if we were honest, we're dying without you right now. If we were really honest, we would say like the woman in the Old Testament who said, let's eat this last meal before I die. So we sit in some desperate places, but deep within us, something still pulls and tugs at us, giving us the courage to go ahead. Whether it's the fact that we think we should or that we've got one last gasp in us. We thank you for that last gasp because when our breath ends, yours begins. When we cannot feed ourselves, you feed us. In fact, you tell us, eat until we want no more. So we thank you for this opportunity, this occasion to sit at a table where you meet our needs according to your riches and glory. So we thank you for your word today. We ask that you would find us wherever we sit, wherever we stand, in whatever condition we stand and worship you in. We say thank you because you're a good God. And sometimes we have to say it and repeat it even if we don't believe it sometimes. But we thank you that you always show your goodness so that we can always have our doubts cleared away and reaffirmed that you're good. So thank you for meeting us here this morning in Jesus mighty and matchless name we do pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Again, good morning, family. I am Minister Paul H. Cody III, as my wife reminds me of often. Uh, as I get ready to stand up here, there are so many things that I have a tendency to forget, and that's often my name. So uh, I have a good reminder and reinforcement of who I am before I actually stand up. And so it's an honor and a privilege to be uh, before you today to share what the Lord has uh, shared with me. You know, as I thought uh, this morning on the way over, I thought about the power of miracles. And so this morning we're going to talk about the power of miracles. Uh, let's go to our Bibles first. Uh, let's, we're going to read uh, John uh, 33 uh, all the way through 44. And uh, I'm going I'm to read, not as fast as I can, but I'm going to read so I don't scream. Uh, because the Lord is, is speaking some things that I'm trying to contain, which is why I'm wringing my hands the way I am right now. The Word says this, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? He asked. And they said, Come and see, Lord. They replied, and Jesus wept. 
Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he says, take away the stone. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there are bad odors, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Man, as we think about miracles, we, we, it's not so much about the miracles that we see, but it's the miracles that we miss. Because there are more miracles that happen in our presence that we miss, right, than all of the other miracles we could count. The scripture says if everything that Jesus said or done was, was, had an opportunity to be written, that the world couldn't contain what he was communicating. Because there was just so much that the Lord did in such a short time and such a short window. If you remember, Jesus spent his first 30 years doing what everybody was expecting him to do so that he could prep for what God had called him to do. And so his first 30 years were not a waste, but his first 30 years were preparation for a three-year run that would actually change the world. And so no matter what you think right now, I know you think you've wasted some time in your life. But the Lord has said, you've not wasted your time. I'm just merely preparing you for what you're going to do here in the distant future. He says, I'm preparing you for what you've been going through. Don't give up now. Don't stop eating. Don't die now because you're on the edge. You're on the very precipice of a life-changing experience that you didn't know about. You thought I was running you through the ringer so that you would die. Or you thought I was just letting people abuse you for the sake of argument. But no, baby, what I was doing was preparing you for the ministry that I have for you yet to come. So far, we've underestimated the call of God on our life, not overestimated He's called us to do some things that we've underestimated. And so whether it's out of fear or out of question or out of obstacle, we've not done it because we think he's not doing anything. But just like we see with Lazarus, tell your neighbor he's doing something. Tell your neighbor again he's doing something. You know, Jacob says it this way at one point. He says, surely the spirit and the presence of the Lord was here and I knew it not. Most of us would say, if we're honest, when we look back, we'd have to say that surely the presence of the Lord was in this situation, and yet I didn't know it. Yeah. 
You were on my right hand, thought I was surrounded, thought I was getting ready to get killed. But however, I didn't know that you were sitting in the background watching over me. I'm trying to get to my point, I promise. But there were some obvious things that the Lord did in this. Let me define miracle real fast for you. Here's what a miracle is. A miracle is God inserting his hand in time, space, and matter to meet your need that brings him glory. Let me say that again. A miracle is God inserting his hand in time, space, and matter to meet your need in order to bring him glory. See, the power of a miracle is not that it happens. The power of the miracle is where it comes from. That's why they call it a miracle, because if it happened any other way, it would be commonplace. But when God puts his hand in time, space, and matter in a way that you knew that no one else could meet a need, that's a miracle. That's God's hand intervening in your situation in a way that you did not expect, even not a way that you asked or expected. He did say, I can do more than you can ask, think, or imagine. And so part of a miracle is doing more than you could ask, think, or imagine in a situation where you think you are about to die. And so the Lord comes in and he creates many miracles in this passage. And it's funny the way he talked to people along the way. In most situations, you might say that Jesus was being a little bit rude or a little crass in his responses uh, when we get a little bit further down. But what you'll see is that he's removing the obstacles and the barriers of belief by addressing unbelief as it shows up in the middle of his miracle. He says, I have no time for unbelief in the middle of my miracles. If my miracles are going to happen, disbelief, unbelief have to be moved to the side. Doesn't matter to the right or the left. It's got to be moved so my miracles can happen the way that I've scripted them. So miracle, miracle number one. Miracle number one is that he let Lazarus die. <laughs> Miracle one is that he actually let him die. John 12 and 24 says it this way, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it abides alone. He said, but if it falls to the ground and it dies, it now brings forth much fruit. The first miracle was is that he let him die in the first place. If you remember the question later on in the passage, the question was, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind, prevented this man from dying in the first place? We know the answer to that. The answer was yes, but would that have been a miracle? They could have chalked that up to medicine, a good doctor. They could have chalked that up to anything if Jesus had prevented him from dying. Sometimes things in our life the Lord will let die in order to create greater life for you. Some relationships, some habits, some situations have to die. They have to be pronounced dead. No breathing, no pulse, no heart rate, no nothing. In order for the Lord to get some glory out of some things. He, he's got to let it get to a place where it dies and everybody thinks it's over. 
Sometimes he lets you get to the place where you think everything is finished, all is lost, there's no victory to be gained, and now it's time for me to sit down and die. And he says, that's okay, I'm actually going to let you do that. Because that's how you come to the end of yourself, and then you trust in me. Sometimes death is the process that allows you to come to the end of yourself and trust in him. But as long as the thing lives, that, that instance, that thought process continues to live and it decreases your ability and your desire to depend on the Father because you spend more time depending on yourself. Amen. And so the first thing he says, he says, I've got to let this die. And so it hurt him actually to do that. And so you see, he looks at everybody else's response. And as everybody gets weepy and crying and they're grieving, the shortest verse we ever see is Jesus wept. Sometimes I wonder what he was weeping for and who he was weeping for. Was he, was he weeping for the unbelief? I don't think he could be weeping about Lazarus because he knew what he was getting ready to do for him. So who was he weeping for in the first place? I think in my Holy Ghost imagination, he's weeping for all those who don't believe what he's about to do. He's spending some time processing his own human emotion at the same time. We know that Jesus was both 100% human and 100% God. And you cannot... You cannot elevate one or the other because they were both the reality of his circumstance. So in his flesh, in his humanness, he's grieving the loss of a friend. But in the excitement of his spirit, because of who he is, he's excited about what he gets the opportunity to do on behalf of his father. And so he gets to the cave, and it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, he comes to the tomb. He, he sees it was a cave with a stone that was laid across the entrance. And he says, take the stone away. In other words, remove the barrier. Remove the scenario. Remove the situation. Remove your lack of faith. Get it out of the way. Remove your questions and your doubts and your fears. Get those out of the way. It's funny. They said, well, Lord, his sister says, and she's so well-meaning. How many of us have friends who are well-meaning but don't always hear the voice of God? So they, can, they confuse what we're walking through because they're trying to rescue us as if they're the healer. So Martha, on behalf of her brother, says, but Lord, he's been dead five, four days. Isn't it going to stink? This is where Jesus gets a little rude. He says, didn't, he was like, yo, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He said, didn't I tell you? I've been, listen, I told you already. I tried to told you. I tried to told you, if you believe you are going to see the glory of God in a way that you didn't anticipate, and you were not, you were so much looking at the human circumstance that you had no way of seeing that I was on the move. Because if you looked at the breadcrumbs, the fact that after Lazarus was dead, that Jesus would still come in the first place, 
has to be a hint and a signal that he's about to do something. Right? So whenever you see the shadow or the trail or something that reminds you of Jesus in your situation, don't worry about it. That's a signal that he's coming. That breadcrumb is for something. He's a, and he doesn't need a breadcrumb for himself. He leaves the crumbs for us so that at some point we can trace him. We can trace him as he's moving. But we've got to have eyes to see and the ears to hear and a heart to receive if that's actually going to happen. Sometimes we've got to be able to trust the Lord when we cannot trace him. There are some times where we don't have an APB. We don't have a Siri or a Google Maps to help track him down. We don't have the tracing and the tracking in our iPhone to find out where Jesus is. He's just saying, you can't trace me, just trust me. Here's the thing we assume. We assume if we don't hear God's voice that he's not speaking. We assume that if you don't hear a word from him, that he's abandoned us. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have a friend that you talk to and you talk 24 hours a day? Like every minute, every second you're together is filled with a conversation. If we don't have a natural friend like that, why would we have a spiritual friend like that? Sometimes God values silence because it allows us to think, allows us to process. And then when it's time to speak, his voice has more power. Not because he was absent. It was because he was giving us time to process the last thing he did. And so now he gets to the tomb. And they roll the stone away. And just like they roll the stone away, I would say this is where some of the miracles begin to roll. I referenced one time in prayer that the power of the miracle, number one, is that Jesus called the name of Lazarus. But the power in it was not who we called, it was who he did not call. He don't call everybody to do the same thing that he calls you to do. He doesn't ask you to preach the same way he asks somebody else to preach. He doesn't ask the same person to enter the same industry that you enter into. He's got gifts and a unique call on our life that is specific to our DNA, so he don't ask you to do the same thing he asks somebody else to do. And so when he called Lazarus, he had to call him with great specificity. He called him by name. Here's why he called him by name. If he had just said, come forth, then everybody that was in the grave could have come out. (laughs) Follow me. In New Testament times, graves did not have one person in them like we have them now. Right? There were multiple people, families, uh, and other people in these big tombs. 
And so if he had not called Lazarus by name, then everybody that was in that tomb could have been risen from the dead and come out. And so Jesus had to very specifically call him by the name Lazarus, just like he calls your name specifically. With specificity, he calls your name. He doesn't call seven names, he calls one. He calls yours to one thing, he calls yours to another thing. He's very specific in what he does because he doesn't want everybody trying to do what he's asked you to do. My God. And so you look at what he tells Lazarus afterwards. He says, Lazarus, get up and come forth out of the dead. Now, here is the biggest miracle of them all. We think the miracle was that he got up from the dead. The larger miracle was is that he was able to hear the voice of God when God called him. Our biggest asset and our biggest gift is that we have the ability to hear the voice of God. If we can't hear the voice of God, then Jesus calling Lazarus is absolutely worthless. He had the ability He called him specifically, and Lazarus had the ability to hear him. Wait, do you understand the power of that? Not that we don't understand how powerful the name of Jesus is and the word of Jesus is and the power of God, but there's more power in the fact that we can hear his voice, that when he calls your name, you can respond to what he's saying. So he calls you. So Lazarus was able to now get up and come forth. And imagine because he still got on these grave clothes. He's still in bondage at this point. So he's now alive, but he's still bound. Here's the next miracle. Take the grave clothes off him. All the things that have bound him and stopped him up to this point, take those off. Go in freedom from where you just were. Take the grave clothes off. Stop walking in a waddle because you're bound up and wrapped up in everything. And so you can only move this far to your left or to your right. You're basically walking like a duck. He says, take off the grave clothes and be free. And then, in fact, he ordered the community to help him take him off. I don't know who was in that circle outside of some of the family, but who was ever there at that point in time got a chance to witness something they had never seen in their lives. There were three things that they had never seen in their lives. They had never seen, they'd never heard the voice of God be more powerful than it was that day. Because it's one thing to heal a blind man. It's another thing to raise a man from the dead. They watched the miracle of Jesus, the power of Jesus' voice, and watching Lazarus respond. That's what happens when somebody comes to Jesus. Jesus calls their name. They respond. Have you ever noticed when someone comes to the altar... To accept Christ, there are a a range of different things that occur in that process. 
right? One person, some persons come down walking in a fast pace. Why? Because they're excited about what Jesus is about to do. And so they walk faster. They walk differently. Sometimes it's almost like a sprint. Second response is is the, the emotion of tears. In fact, Jesus begins to cleanse them as they walk. And so by the time they get to the altar, the tears are still streaming down their face because when they started walking, they were walking because of their sin and they knew they needed a Savior. By the time they got to the altar, they realized they got a Savior and now they're crying for a totally different reason. That's what begins to happen when Jesus, when God puts his hand in the middle of time, space, and matter to meet our need so that he can be bought glory. Who is the glory that is brought? In the passage, Lazarus was the glory. He said, if you, I told you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. What was the glory? Who was the glory? Lazarus. Who was the glory? Come on, y'all. Who was the glory? Why was Lazarus the glory? Because Lazarus was the punchline of all that Jesus said he was getting ready to do. So now as we sit in these seats, who's the punchline and the glory about what God is able to do? Who is the glory of God? Who is the glory of God now? It was Lazarus then. Who is the glory of God now? The glory of God is you. Point to say the glory of God is me. The glory of God is you. And so, as we get ready to pray that we would see more of God's glory, I want to remind you of a couple of quick things. Number one, that Lord called, that Jesus calls you in specificity to do a specific thing. He's not asking uh, two or three people to do the exact same thing that he's expecting you to do. Two, The greatest gift you have is the ability to hear the voice of God when he calls. When he calls, when he convicts, when he corrects, the greatest gift we have is the ability to hear the voice of God. Three, we have both the ability and the responsibility to respond to God's call, to respond to God's voice when he calls us. I want you to imagine what happens if Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, and he sits there. How many times has Jesus called your name and said, come forth, but you sat there? That you settled for grave clothes when you could have freedom and a different dress and a different suit, but you chose not to respond to Jesus when he called your name. There's a blessing and a curse to that. The blessing is we've got the opportunity to respond. That when we talk about the ability to have free will, free will is given so that we're actually able to make a response and to make a choice out of love based on what the Lord is doing. The curse is you also have the choice to sit where you sit on a, for, for a long-term process Some of us have chose to sit in the same clothes, same situation, same circumstance, same mindset, 
right? Same skill and ability. We've chosen to sit there for five years. We've, we've sat in the grave. We've sat in there when Jesus has called our name multiple times and says, come, I got freedom for you. Be free, but you choose to sit in the very same condition, knowing the longer you sit in it, the worse the situation gets. You remember how Martha said it? Martha said it smells already, which means what? That the smell could get worse. The longer Lazarus decided in his free will to sit there and remain in the same situation, the worse the situation and the stench of his life would have gotten. Some of us are sitting in circumstances where they stink. And we've been unwilling to move and it's only getting worse. And the Lord God has called you out of it several times, given you opportunities to respond to the miracle at hand, and we've chosen to sit. But I still say in that what a mighty God we serve, that he could even still sit and allow us to make a choice that he knows that's antithetical to the good that he has planned for us in the first place. But he knows how to make you willing. I say that at home all the time. (laughs) Dad, I don't want to. Okay. All right. Okay. You you sure? Okay. Yep. I'll make you. I know how to make you willing. (laughs) We know how to get you there. If it's a belt, if it's a basketball, it don't matter. We, We know how to get you there. Whether you kick and scream, we know how to make you willing. And at some point, no matter how you kick and scream, the Lord is going to make you willing. And it's okay. Because if you won't move, he doesn't want you to sit where you are. So he's got one of two choices. To either do nothing and allow you to sit there or continue to create circumstances that prompt you to move in his direction. The Lord wants you free more than you want to be free. He wants to move the stone away more than you want the stone to be moved away. Because you've been so exhausted trying to figure out how to move the stone out of the way so that you can get out that you've lost hope and you've got frustrated and you've sat down and you've quit. And he said, that's great. Now that you've quit, I can get started. Now that you've given up, now I can take control. Here's the punchline for today. When you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your heart. When he calls your name, harden not your heart. He's talking to you because he has a miracle in store for you, and he wants it to bring glory and honor to him and to the people who didn't believe as they sat there and watched you waste away. They thought for sure you were going to die. They thought for sure you were going to quit. They thought for sure you were going to give up. 
They thought for sure you would curse them out. They thought for sure you would slap them. They thought that for sure. Even though we were very close. At some point, the Lord says, I'm going to do what nobody believes is possible. I'm going to call you out of the middle of that mess in front of a bunch of people so that my name can be given glory. <laughs> Psalm 23 says it a lot. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Yes. Sitting at the middle of the table when, people, when, when you're surrounded and these people are surrounding you think you're going to die, you're sitting at a table getting ready to eat. They're watching you think you're about to take your last bite and you're going to die. And then they look back in the hills and figure out that the people that are actually going to die is them and not you. That you're going to live and not die. That you're going to testify the goodness of God. That you're going to give God glory in how you live and how you spend and how you work. That you're going to preach the gospel in season and out of season. At your desk, over the internet, and on a phone conversation. At some point, God is going to make a miracle out of you, out of your situation, and out of your circumstances that cannot be refuted. Because he refused to let you sit where you were. And so he reached his hand down in the middle of time, space, and matter, interrupted everything cosmically possible, and brought you a miracle that no man could refute. Let's stand. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Ah, freedom is here today. Freedom. Freedom is here today. The Lord says, I want you to be free. The Lord says, I want you to be free. I've called your name. I've called your name. Respond to my name. I've called your name. I've called your name. Be free. Raise your hands before the Lord. Lift them high. Lift them high. We're going to do two things. One, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's still sitting in the grave and have never given their heart to Jesus, now is your time. This is your moment to come to the altar, to take off your grave clothes, and to be set free by the power of Jesus. That moment, this first moment, this moment is for you. I want you to repeat after me, Father, thank you for rescuing me from my own sin. Today I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Christ was raised from the dead. And so I thank you today. And this very instance, at this very moment, at this very time, that you have saved my life and my life will no longer be the same. Thank you, Lord, for interrupting, for invading and creating a miracle in my life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's celebrate with him.
Wait, stay there. Yeah. No, no. I just had to give you a hug, bro. Appreciate you. Hey, after service, come see me for a second. I want to talk to you real quick. All right. The second time of prayer is for those of us who have not, res- have not been responding to the voice of Jesus as he's called. And we're sitting in some circumstances that he wants to remove us from. Father, we thank you that what you want for them is their complete and full freedom. And so if you're under the sound of my voice as I pray, I want you to pray for those who have lifted their hands. Because we know agreement is a place of power, so let's agree together in prayer with them. Father, we thank you right now that as you call Lazarus out of the grave, that you are calling your children from out of the grave. You're saying, come out from among them. Come out from among the dead. Come out from among these situations and circumstances. Come out and be free. Father, we know you did it for Lazarus. And Lazarus was your glory at that time. But Father, we are your glory at this time. And Father, we ask you to free us and allow us to come forth this morning. Would you remove the grave clothes, God, so that we can walk in freedom and victory? Would you remove the bandages from our minds so that we can think freely, God? Would you remove the shackles and the, and the bandages from our bodies so that we can walk in freedom, oh God? Father, whatever those things are, we don't have to name them, but we know that you know them. Father, we ask that you set free right now. Father, would you not only sharpen our hearing, but sharpen our ability and our desire to respond to you. Father, we thank you for this time and and this opportunity to be met by you in a way that we've not been met before, Father. Where there is the stone of unbelief, In front of that tomb, Father, roll that stone away. Wherever we're doubtful and wherever we don't believe it can really happen, that things will stay the same as they've always been before. God, would you remove that so that we can experience the freedom that comes from you? Father, we often say, as we leave this place, but never your presence, we always say that Jesus is Lord, period. In this circumstance that they lift their hands for, we say Jesus is Lord, period. We say where there is bondage, Jesus is Lord, period. Where there's addiction, we say Jesus is Lord, period. When there's mental challenges, we say Jesus is Lord, period. Where there's mental ailments or bodily things where things need to be healed, we say Jesus is Lord, period. In the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus, we say thank you. And we agree that Jesus is Lord, period. Come on, family, let's put our hands together. 
Thank you, Father, for the miracle of God today. We thank you for the life that you bring into the kingdom. Father, we thank you that you're a God that draws when we can't. The number of conversations someone had with him about who Jesus was to finally get to this point is absolutely amazing. So we thank God for what he did today in the midst of a, a rainy and a dreary day that he is still Lord and can bring brightness indoors when it's dark outdoors. <clears throat> Let's raise our Bibles. We'll do it as Pastor Jamal says, say it with your chest. This Bible, this Bible is our primary source of faith. Primary source of faith. This, Bible this Bible is our rule of conduct. Rule of conduct. This, Bible this Bible creates the lens, creates the lens that we see life through. So now as we leave this place but never God's presence, Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we're seeing it come to pass.